Good morning. I'm on my porch at my laughing place in the North Carolina mountains. So if you hear the um, rooster crow or the birds singing, you'll know that that's the background music that will have accompanying us today as I record this episode of the Leanne McCoy podcast. Welcome, friends. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer and um, spiritual warfare. We talk about a lot of other things like parenting adult kids and what it's like to be um, a Christ follower in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine. Um, But it's also a place where I just overflow with some of what the Lord's teaching me and what's going on in my own heart. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. During these past few episodes, um, I have shared from 1 Kings chapter 16 through 18, and it's from the overflow of my study from my Mother's Day message at Thompson Station Church. I asked God to give me a word, and He gave me exceedingly abundantly more than I could possibly get in on a Sunday morning. So I've used my podcast in order to um, give you all the other words that God had shared with me. When um, our 1 Kings 16 through 18 is that section of scripture that gives us insight into Elijah's life as he was having his showdown with the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. And you can listen to my Mother's Day message. It is... um, called How to Ignite Your Prayers So That They Will Work. And actually, I promised the people in that message to give them four ways that they could ignite their prayers so that they would work. And um, in this podcast, I'm going to share that fourth way. I ran out of time before I got to that fourth way, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Other episodes that I've recorded that support and um, give a lot more deeper dive into the Mother's Day message are These Are the Days of Elijah and What the Heck, A Prayer God Will Always Answer. I encourage you to go and listen to those, and also you might want to listen to the Mother's Day message if you um haven't heard that or were at Thompson Station Church on Sunday on May 14. Um, And I have that linked on the show notes today. In this episode, though, we're going to focus specifically on Elijah's prayer life. Um, As he remained behind on Mount Carmel with his servant, servant after everyone else left that mountaintop experience. Um, And so this episode will especially appeal to you if you're caught somewhere in between the promise of God and his fulfillment of it. If we take a look at 1 Kings 17.1, this is where we get to know Elijah. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from the Gilead settlers, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Huh. This is the first time Elijah's mentioned in the Bible, and today he's known as one of the greatest prophets and miracle workers in the Old Testament. He's actually one of the two prophets who make a New Testament appearance when he visits with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you know what the other one was? It was Moses. Not only is Elijah um, revered in Christian circles, but also by Jews and Muslims alike. 
But here in 1 Kings 17.1, he's simply a Tishbite from the Gilead settlers. How many of you are just Bob from Spring Hill or Mary from Franklin or Jared from Columbia? Those are the towns that are near me. I'm thinking that because you might be Sarah from Boone or Linda from Woodstock, Mike from Gainesville, because you're listening to this podcast, God's got a whole lot more in mind for you than simply that you are you from that place. We meet Elijah here, but this is just our starting place. Boy, did God have some adventures for him. There are a few things I can surmise from this one verse in 1 Kings 17.1. I would assume that Elijah was brave or that he had more fear of God than he had of the wicked king Ahab and that he was gutsy. Brave because he had an audience with the king. Gutsy because he said what God wanted said without mincing the words. All these things, bravery, fear of the Lord, and being gutsy, paved the way for God to use him to demonstrate his presence, power, and passion later on at Mount Carmel. But before we take our journey with him to that mountain, let's check out what James in the New Testament had to say about Elijah. In James 5, 17 and 18, we read, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just like us, are my words for that. A nature like ours, just like us. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. He prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. How about that? Elijah was just like us, and yet he prayed earnestly. We only see Elijah announcing the drought. We don't see his earnest prayer, but James tells us that it was there. Can you imagine what Elijah's prayer life might have been? Lord, I've done what you've told me to do, and I've told Ahab about the drought. Now, please don't let these clouds turn into rain. Uh, it's looking like rain today, Lord. Please, please don't make me look like a fool and let there be a downpour. Thank you, Lord, for another sunny day in Samaria. Lord, I know this drought was delivered by you, and you've already told me that it's going to last three years, but I'm thirsty. Why does it have to be so dry? You see, my friends, if Elijah was a man just like us, I can't help but think his prayers might have sounded a whole lot like ours. We're not going to go with him through the drought in this podcast because we went there quite thoroughly in the episode, What the Heck? A Prayer God Always Answers. In that episode, I share how Elijah and the widow survived the three-year drought miraculously and how God brought the widow's son back to life. You know what? Let's do go revisit Elijah's prayer for her son in 1 Kings 17, 19 through 21. But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms and brought him up to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, my Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I'm staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, please let this boy's life return to him. How about that? Elijah was a man just like us, according to James 5.17, and yet he had his own version of a what-the-heck prayer. <laughs> he echoes the widow's pain, but he does it privately just between him and God. Elijah prayed fervently three times. He literally put himself on that little boy, or that big boy, crying out for God to give his life back. He is begging God, asking for exactly what he wants. How often would Elijah have prayed this prayer? I think as many times as it took. 
The only reason he didn't pray a fourth and fifth time was because God brought the widow's son back to life after his third prayer. And don't miss verse 22. The scripture says, So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Wow. The Lord listened to the voice of a man, just like us, and answered his prayer. Does God do this today? Yes. Yes, he does. I shared two stories of answered prayer in the message I delivered on Mother's Day. You can go there to hear them. But let me say this right here. As I lead the prayer clinic ministry, I'm convinced that God answers far more prayers than we take time to record. Part of the value of the prayer clinic ministry is that we keep record of and celebrate what God is doing rather than staying focused on what is making our lives difficult. You can check out the prayer clinic ministry on prayerclinic.com and I'd love to help you get a prayer clinic started in your church. But back to our back to our Elijah story. After this three plus year drought, Elijah goes to Ahab once again and tells him to assemble the people on top of Mount Carmel. First Kings 18 is where Elijah hits the apex of his ministry. In verse 21, then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah lays down his challenge. The 450 prophets of Baal are invited to go first. They get their choice of two bulls. They cut it into pieces, lay it on the altar with wood, and then invite Baal to receive that offering by igniting the fire that burns it up. Elijah states, the God who answers with fire, he is God. In 1 Kings 18, 24. Then the shenanigans began. The prophets of Baal pray, and Elijah heckles them. Their prayers are fervent, passionate, and persistent, but their prayers were not answered. And that's because the power of prayer doesn't reside in our prayers. The power of prayer resides in the person to whom we're praying. It didn't matter how fervent, passionate, or persistent Baal's prophets were. What mattered was that Baal wasn't God. At the end of the day, when it was getting to be time for the evening sacrifice, the fervent, passionate, persistent prayer of the prophets of Baal ceased. And the scripture says in 1 Kings 18.29 that there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. Baal didn't answer because God shut his mouth. Once the prophets of Baal were done, Elijah called the people in close. He rebuilds the altar with 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel, to remind the people who they were and to let them know that God still saw them as his people, even though they'd forsaken him. And once the altar was rebuilt, Elijah soaked it in water, even building a trench around it and filling that with water. Then he prayed a simple 58 words. At least there were 58 words in the Christian Standard Bible where I was reading. And this is what they are in 1 Kings 20, 18, 26, and 27. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that at your word, I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. A man just like us praying words just like these. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed not only the burnt offering, the wood, the stones and the dust, but it licked up the water that was in the trench as well. Can you imagine that? What a sight that must have been, the fire of God falling from heaven in response to a simple prayer. The people saw it, they fell face down, and they said, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God. 
And after this, the people went and annihilated the evil in their midst. It's quite barbaric in scripture as they killed the prophets of Baal. But the truth of the matter is that when our eyes are open to spiritual truth, we can better see and understand how important it is to get rid of the evil in our midst. You might think the story ends here, but it doesn't, because it wasn't fire that the people needed. It was rain. Elijah assured Ahab that rain was coming, and he sent him on ahead. Then Elijah went back to the top of the mountain where God had just shown up, and he bowed low with his head between his knees. I think the people had gone home, and this time Elijah was all alone with just God and his servant. It's not a showy thing now. There are no crowds. There's no drama, no bells and whistles, no smoke machines, no amazing worship. It's just Elijah and the Lord and his servant. My friends, prayer is tough. Praying through to a breakthrough is tiresome. It's tedious. It's dull. It's repetitive, monotonous, and hard work. This time we don't get to know what Elijah prayed, but we do know what he wanted God to do. And we know God intended to do it because God had already told Elijah the drought was going to last for three years. And now it had been three years and six months. The Israelites were overdue for rain. Do you know how hard it is to pray when you've got a promise and a passion, but you're missing a response? Elijah sent his servant to watch for a cloud. You can actually see the Mediterranean Sea on a clear day on top of Mount Carmel. I've seen it. I've been fortunate enough to be there on a clear day. And this must have been a clear day, even though Elijah was praying for rain. God had just done the miraculous. It was quite the show. But now, now Elijah needed him to make good on his promise. And God didn't do a thing. Six times Elijah thought he might have arrived at a breakthrough. And six times his servant returned to tell him. There's nothing. Maybe you'd have to be asking God to do something he's promised to do. And maybe you'd have to live with the reality that he's not doing it yet to appreciate Elijah's posture. He was huddled on the ground at the foot of the place God last showed up with his head between his knees, knowing that it's a picture of the desperation in his soul. But did Elijah stop praying? No, he was determined to push Elijah was going to pray until something happened. There was no quit in him. Elijah lived a praying life, and therefore Elijah experienced answered prayers. He allowed those answered prayers to fuel his faith. He knew to whom he was praying, and he didn't pitch a fit when the servant brought him bad report after bad report. Elijah prayed until God answered. The fourth way to ignite your prayers so that they work is to push. Pray until something happens. And on the seventh time that Elijah prayed, that Elijah sent the servant, and the servant came back, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming from the sea. Go tell Ahab, you better get going to Jezreel before the storm stops you. And sure enough, scripture tells us in 1 Kings 18.45, in a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. My dear listener, if God's given you a promise and it's beginning to wear thin, take a seat at the last place he showed up in your life and pray until something happens. What's that I see? Is that a cloud in the distance? Your shower of blessing is on its way.
Hush, pray until something happens. My friends, I have a few books you might find helpful as you journey through your push season. A Woman's Guide to Hearing God's Voice was written in one of my push seasons of life. In it, I journey through several situations in Scripture where God seemed to be absent in some really good people's lives. Those chapters are titled, Where Was God When Hezekiah Was Being Good? And Where Was God When the Disciples Were in the Boat? And I also discuss what to do when God doesn't seem to be good in our lives. Another book you might enjoy, one that I wrote a while back, is Oh God, Please Help Me With My Doubt. I have a great story about this book. My writer's complimentary copies of the book arrived at my house the very day my doctor told Tom and me that I had only a 35% chance of not having cancer return in the next five years. And this was just six weeks after surgery to remove half my liver. We were processing that news when we got home and I saw the books. It's always a special moment when you see your book in print. I sat on the back porch and I flipped through the pages. And at the end of, oh God, please help me with my doubt, I'd written chapter after chapter assuring us that God is there even when we don't feel his presence. The chapters include when you doubt God's love, when you doubt God's power, when you doubt God's wisdom. You can purchase these books and and more on my Leanne McCoy website. I invite you to go there and see if any of my books might become companions to you as you pray until something happens. Thank you for taking this amazing journey with me in 1 Kings 16 through 18. Please share this podcast with anyone who might be encouraged by listening to it. I look forward to being with you next week.